Welcome to Glasgow Evangelicals Podcast. Thanks for listening with us today. Our hope is that today's sermon equips you to live the gospel joyously. Come along with us as we learn to live the gospel together. So there's not very many times where I get to tell you guys real-time stories of my life, but this is so cute that I can't pass it up. So we're sitting here worshiping, and my daughter tugs on my, on my arm, and I'm thinking, oh, this is going to be really good. This is going to be amazing. And my daughter lets, leans down, and so, you know, like, I just sit down, and I'm like, hey, what's up? And she goes, Dad, I was just thinking, you know, when I, when I turn 10 years old and I shoot my first deer, I'm going to hang it up on the wall so that I can hang my coats and stuff on it, like in my bedroom. Can I do that, Dad? In that very moment, I'm just gonna tell you, in that very moment, I was like, God, you are amazing. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> uh, no, and then I told her, I said, can I please say that to the people? And she's like, not when I'm in the room. So, oh, uh, which just made me think that as we're worshiping and different things like that, there, there are so many things that are going on in our heads, right? At this very moment in this room, there's uh, plenty of us who are thinking about all the things that we have to do after this. And all the things that are going on in our lives. And, I, and this is what I really hope today, is I really hope that as we look at this kind of continuing narrative in the story that we can, we can somehow allow God to go, okay, what's in my heart and what's going on? God, is there things that I need to refocus on? Is there things that maybe I've kind of uh, gone off the track a little bit that I need to pull myself back on? Because once again, uh, today is just the, the 10 verses that we are going to read together is just really a narrative. It's just really something that I could say, read to you and go, hey, we're done go home and all that stuff, but I think it's packed with a lot more than just a little bit of a story, a snippet of Paul's life. And so, uh, but once again, I, I want to remind us over and over again that Acts is based on one verse, and, and it has the foundation in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, and this is what it says, and we'll read it together as a church family. It says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And if you're new here, Jerusalem is simply Glasgow, Montana. Throughout Judea is Valley County. Uh, throughout Samaria is maybe Montana. And to the ends of the earth is everything outside of Montana. And so uh, that's the whole point and purpose of reading these and going, okay, once again, how do we become witnesses everywhere we go? Well, the first thing is, of course, being filled with the Holy Spirit. We've gone through that over and over again. Are, are we allowing Jesus Christ to be our Lord, personal Lord and Savior? And are we taking on his things that say, hey, are you being empowered by the Holy Spirit to walk? Because everything we've been seeing in Paul's, especially in these last few chapters in Paul's life, is the Holy Spirit keeps on leading him, he's strengthened, and he's, and he's going about things. Today is a very interesting one because um, I think about this idea of all of us really would love to be glory hounds, wouldn't we? All of us would love to be recognized in some fashion or another. Some of us aren't always the ones that go, I want to stand on the podium, 
right? And there's not all of us that are like that, that we want to be uh, the number one spotlight or anything like that. There are some of you that being in the spotlight really scares you. But it, deep down inside of us, there is something that goes, man, I really would just love to be recognized. In fact, the other day, I kind of was in a pouting session, and I never told my wife this, but she's just like, what's going on? And I really wanted to say, man, for the last seven sermons that I've done, you've never said I did a good job, which is completely a lie, by the way, just to let you know, because uh, I just don't hear those things. And then I think God's like, oh, yeah, awesome. So you're sitting up there doing sermons because you want people to tell you that you did a good job. Well, buddy, I got another thing coming for you, right? Like, I hear those things. Or like when we do something amazing, right? Like, wow, did you see how I got, did you see how I did that? Or look at me and what I did. There's a lot of us like that. And I think in this scripture, we learn a little bit differently. We learn that maybe it's not so much about us getting the glory and having everybody look at us, but maybe it's a point of taking a position of servant leadership, of going, no, I want to serve others. But sometimes when we serve, it's out of the wrong reasons. And I think that when we open up this piece of scripture, we'll be able to see that. But before we do that, would you pray with me? God, would you allow our word to, your word, to soak into our hearts? Would we place everything aside to hear from your spirit? And God, would you really fill this atmosphere? And that, would, and that we would see you completely differently and that we would maybe bring our hearts to look, at the, to look in the right direction, which is you. And would you lead us and guide us and direct us? In your name we pray, amen. And so let's read this together in uh, Acts 28, and we're going to read verses 1 through 10, and it says this. Once we were safe on shore, remember last week we saw them shipwrecked, and they had to all uh, swim to shore, and they all got, their safety, uh, all got there safely. And so once we were safe on shore, we learned that, there, that we were on the island of Malta. The people of the Alta, uh, Malta, golly, let's start over or something. Maybe I should go back to sleep. The people of the island were very kind to us. It was cold and rainy, so they built a fire on the shore to welcome us. As Paul gathered an armful of sticks and was laying them on the fire, a poisonous snake driven out, snake driven out by the heat bit him on the hand. The people of the island saw it hanging from his hand and said to each other, a murderer, no doubt. Though he escaped the sea, justice will not permit him to live. But Paul shook off the snake into the fire and was unharmed. The people waited for him to swell up or suddenly drop dead. But when they had waited a long time and saw that he wasn't harmed, they changed their minds and decided he was a god. Near the shore where we landed was an estate belonging to Publius, the chief official of the island. He welcomed us and treated us kindly for three days. As it happened, Publius's father was ill with fever and dysentery. Paul went in and prayed for him, and laying his hands on him, he healed him. Then all the other sick people on the island came and were healed. As a result, we were showered with honor. And when the time came to sail, people supplied us with everything we would need for the trip. So what does this 10 verses have to do with servant leadership? And what does it even have to do with fear, really? 
uh, because if you look at the, your notes, you'll see that I did put on there fear of man. One of the things I think about in looking at this scripture is how quickly we change from one thing to another in a matter of just 10 verses. First thing that happens is, is they're all afraid that they're going to die. And so everybody comes to shore safely, but then we see Paul doing something. He's not sitting around waiting for other people to serve him. He's trying to help out and do as many things as he possibly can. And then while he's serving, something happens to him. A snake bites him on the hand. Not just bites him and lets him go, like he's like dangling on there. Like, can you see this picture of this? Like, I just think of this like green snake for some reason. I don't know why, but just hanging on, and I, and I think of it like pinching right there because that really hurts, right? And so it's just hanging there. And then he just simply goes, eh, not a big deal. Shakes it off and continues to keep on doing what he's doing. And in that moment, they go, yep, that's right. Justice is being served. He was a murderer. We know he's a convict, so... Uh, you know what, uh, karma, right? We say those things, karma, and we look at it and you're just gonna, you're gonna die, buddy. And then he doesn't die. And then all of a sudden people are like, oh, he's a God, right? We go from one extreme, like to the worst of the worst, to the best of the best. Like there is no in-between, right? And so he, this whole entire time he's sitting there and then they get done and he continues to do exactly what he's been doing the whole entire book of Acts. I'm just going on to do what God has asked me to do. I'm going to go where God has asked me to do. And whatever happens, happens. I'm okay with it. I'm fine with it. And then it's interesting that the word healed in this uh, 10 verses is completely different than the rest of the healings that we see in Acts. And the word healed is here is more that they are coming to get advice from Paul and from Luke. So they're simply just getting advice, meaning, hey, we see that these are kind of the health issues that we have. Can you tell us how to either be cleaner or how to not be infected by these things? And so this is kind of like a, what I see is like a missions trip that we often do, right? We oftentimes think that we are going to completely go and solve all the world's problems as we head out into the world and we sit there and go, hey, you could do a couple of these things. You know, you could take better care of yourself, maybe by brushing your teeth or, hey, let's give you just uh, a little ways of being more clean when we go to third world countries. And yet we come and we are completely blessed by them. And that's what I see even here is that they come with their knowledge and they come with also, man, ultimately love. We're here because of Christ. And they share what they have. And then as they leave, people are just like, thank you for coming. But what would happen if all of a sudden they simply say, hey, we're just going to be here for three months until we can actually get out of here. We're not going to help you guys out. You leave us alone. We'll leave you alone. Not, not, a, not a big deal. And you do you and I'll do me. That would make for a really bad story, first of all. Um, and second of all, I, I think that that is not the way of Christ. Oftentimes we see that in our own lives, though. We just say, hey, you just go your way, I'll go my way, and that's okay. But I think that right away as we see Paul serving everybody, all 276 people, getting firewood, trying to figure out if they're okay, saying, hey, I told you that we would make it to land safely. I think there's huge implications with that. And so I kind of was looking at a lot of things going, okay, where do we see servant leaderhood 
all over Scripture. And so I stole a, a couple things, actually five aspects of a servant leader from uh, a website called Desiring God. And I love these aspects of going, hey, this is what a servant does as we are in any situation because I love the idea that it has not changed for Paul. Paul is the exact same person. If you look all the way through Acts, he didn't sit there on the island. No, he's just being a serv servant leader and going on through things. And so I don't want you to be like Paul, but I want you to become a servant in every aspect of your life. And so we just, I just want to dive through these and look back at Scripture and go, man, if Paul's the example of a servant leader, what are other examples through those Scriptures? And so if you're taking notes with me, let's go through the first one. A servant leader seeks the glory of his master. A servant leader seeks the glory of his master. Now the first thing that I want to ask you this morning is who is your master? Who do you live life for? You know, Jesus says it later on. He says, where your heart is, there is your treasure as well, right? Ephesians 6, 7 says this. It says, work with enthusiasm as, you were work, as if you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Are you seeking your own glory or are you seeking God's glory? Who is your master this morning? John 7, 18 says, those who speak for themselves want glory only for themselves. But a person who seeks to honor the one who sent him speaks with truth, not lies. We will always go astray if God is not our master. And we will always be doing things for something other than God if he's not our master. I, th I keep thinking about the verse uh, for the last couple of weeks, which says, wide is the path that leads to destruction, but narrow is the path that leads to life. It is so easy when it comes to this to go, I want to look like everybody else. And it's easy to understand that there's a thousand masters out that way, but only one this way. It's much easier to find out what God wants from us by going, or not what we think God wants from us by going to the path of destruction. And it's really difficult to go, God, what are you asking me to do? And it takes time and it takes our hearts to go, God, I want to be loyal to you. I want your authority to be in my life, not what I think should be happening. A second thing the, a servant leader does is a servant leader sacrificially seeks the highest joy of those he serves. I love how over servant leadership, we see the two greatest commandments being served. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, and all your soul. And the second one is, is important. Love your neighbor as yourself. A servant sacrificially seeks the highest joy of those he serves. Matthew 20, 26 and 28 says this, but among you it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And for even the Son of Man came to be served, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, 
but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. We're going to get into these a little bit further as we start talking a little bit about the fear of man, but I just, I want to ask you this is, what are you sacrificing for others? Do you have the greatest joy of going, I want others to succeed? Or do you use others for your own success? The third thing that a servant leader does is a servant leader will forego his rights rather than obscure the gospel. 1 Corinthians 9, 19 talks about this. It says, the man I've become all things to all men that I might save one. Like he desires the whole point that the gospel is important. That I don't want to get in, way, in the way of this. I think sometimes we lead or we serve others and we sit there and we obscure the gospel, don't we? We either don't make it known or we say, hey, look at me. This is what I'm doing. I'm a Christian and so God wants me to do this and we tout it. But what if it also means that we are not going to do something that causes another person to stumble? We're not going to be around people and just go, well, you deal with me. No, we actually forego our own rights so that other people can see the gospel more clearly. So we want people to know Christ more than our own rights. And fourthly, a servant leader is not preoccupied with personal visibility and recognition. I love this, 1 Corinthians, and I, and I didn't put it on there, but if you would look at 1 Corinthians 12, uh, 12 through 26, this is all about we're a part of the body of Christ. And each one of us has a position and a function. And if we would run with that, you know, not comparing ourselves to other people, not saying, oh, well, I'm not this or I'm not that, but going, no, I am this, and this is what God has asked me to do. And it's not for my own visibility or recognition. It's simply because I want God to be glorified. It's almost like taking the talents that God has given us and running with them, saying, man, I, I want your gifts, God. Please give them so that I can serve the body of Christ. I think that's what the membership of the church does, right? We all look at it. There's even one person that stood up there and said, hey, I really feel like God is saying you need to step up and be a part of the church a little bit more. And by the way of doing that is by attaching yourself and going, man, I'm really good at this and I want to be a part of the membership of the church. And this last part, in terms of what a servant leader does, is not the easiest part. And it is that a servant leader anticipates and graciously accepts the time for his decrease. That's a lot to say this. John the Baptist said it the best. He says uh, in John chapter 3, he says, It is the bridegroom who marries the bride, and the best man is simply glad to stand with him and hear his vows. Therefore, I am filled with joy at his success. He must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. This is, Je this is John the Baptist talking about Jesus going, hey, at some point, somebody has to take over for me. It's not that I need to be here forever and I'm the greatest forever, but at some point, I will be stepping down. 
Do we hold on to our leadership and go, no, that I'm, I'm going to hold on to this forever? Or do we go, hey, no, my time has run its course. I'm going to let it go to somebody else. Which then brings us, I'm telling you, right back to number one, right? It's just this cycle, if you will, of just going right back to number one. Even Solomon says that he says, man, I understand there's just a season for everything. And sometimes we just have to maybe see that the seasons are ending because later on, next, not next week, but the week after, we're going to look at what Paul kind of does at the very end and how he finishes well. But it's all for the good of Christ's cause. But I want to focus a little bit more this morning, not on just those. I, I felt like I, not get them, out of way, get them out of the way, but I really wanted to focus on the next part. Because if there's one thing that's going to derail any of your desire to serve one another and to be a leader in one another, it is going to be the fear of man. If there's one thing that's going to derail us from listening to what God is asking us to do, it's going to be the fear of man. And I think of this over and over again, and, I, and I've just been watching this kind of uh, theme, if you will, play out in all of these chapters, right? So, so Paul says, oh, I am, Paul gets arrested, and he goes, no, I'm, I'm definitely where I'm supposed to be. This is okay. And then, and then somebody wants to kill him, right? And then all of a sudden, Paul's like, nope, I want to I go to the governor. And then he finds himself in the governor, and they're like, ah, now we want to kill you, right? And then he goes, well, no, I'm going to go to see, I mean, like, all of these things that, like, he's great, and then he's horrible. He's great, and then he's horrible. And then all these people are saying, well, we can't find anything, we can't find anything wrong with you. And then he gets on a ship, right? And he gets, all, he gets shipwrecked. And all of these things that are just kind of looking at, man, maybe I'm not supposed to be doing this. Maybe I need to walk away from this. Maybe, maybe this isn't what God has called me to do. Maybe uh, it's just way too tough for me. If he listened to everything that everybody was saying about him, man, think of like the downward spiral that he would be in. I think it's interesting that you get bit by a snake and people are like, man, it serves you right. And then you don't die from the snake and they're like, you're a god. Could you imagine the roller coaster ride you had if you were a glory hound and that you weren't a servant and that you, your whole entire self-worth was based on what other people thought of you? How other people treated you? And it is kind of funny because there are plenty of us in this room that do just that every single day of our lives. And so I want to kind of take a little bit of time in here and talk about this idea of what it means to be a fear of man because if you are going to be derailed from you being a servant, this fear of man is what's going to happen. And what he means by a fear of man is this, is that we do things specifically to get man's approval. In fact, actually, Proverbs 29, 25 says this. It says, fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. Fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. 
I think you can look at a lot of our lives and go, what are we doing based on what other men think of me? And what I mean by men is just humanity, right? I think to myself going, man, in this one verse, are we snaring people by placing things on them that don't need to be there? Do we put fear of men that, hey, are they doing the right things around us? Maybe you yourself are going, man, I do things based on how other people perceive me. Maybe some of you serve because you think you're better than somebody else. Maybe you serve because you think people will see that you're great and that you will get some sort of accolade. But if you go back to the number one thing of that a servant leader seeks the glory of his master, once again, what is your master? If it's, if it's mortal men, and we are always going to fall short. And it's going to be a snare. Can you, can you imagine the kind of the merry-go-round that we have, that we do something and we get a response from it, and then we think that we have to keep on doing that, and it's not exactly what God is asking us to do at all. There are some of us who might be on boards, and we've been on a board for 16, 18, 20, 25 years somewhere, and we're just like, how do I get off of this thing, right? Man, but what will they think of me if I don't do that? What will they think of me if I do do that? I think of the roller coasters we even have with our own ch children. What sort of snare have we put in, in place of that that we, we're so snared up because we want them to like us? Needing the bigger, badder, better thing all the time. We, we find in Deuteronomy that it says this, in Deuteronomy 12 through 10, 12 through 13, it says this. It says, and now Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good. I think of all of these words that I, I placed in there to walk with God, to love God, to serve God, to keep his commandments and statutes. Do you serve reluctantly because you think that nobody else will serve and so you're just like, fine, I'll, I'll step in? Or do you serve because you think you're setting an example that, hey, you know what, the next generation isn't going to do it unless I do it because I'll show them what's up. And do you get mad when others won't serve because it's their time now to step up? I love this poem, and I don't know who wrote it. I'm sorry. I try to, try to always find out who wrote it, but I, I can't find it. And it says this. It says, do not, do not lead me, I may not follow. And do not follow, I may not lead. But walk beside me and be my friend. It's that whole entire purpose of going, God, as we are with people, what are the reasons why we're walking with God? What are the reasons why we're loving him and serving him and doing his commands and statutes is because so that other people can see us or is it because we're going i want to obey god first and foremost the next verse that we can unpack is in matthew 10 28 and it says do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell i love this verse in terms of the fear, the fear of man in terms of serving. 
Because we really fear judgment of other people, don't we? We, uh, we have people, we even actually put judgment on others. They only do this because. Or people look at us and go, well, they're only doing that because X, Y, and Z. We put so much stock in people who can just destroy our own self-worth. Do we only give out compliments and praise and encouragement only when we see things are right so that we create this we create this system in which, oh no, they're only, you know, we're only going to hand it out when we, when we see things that are only right? Or do we actually just encourage the person to do what's right? I think I would rather fear God and do what he's calling me to do than to continue to get on this, man, this hamster wheel. Of, man, if I do what's right, then people will be happy with me. But God, I want to do what you're asking me to do. And so, Lord, please be my master. This next verse in Acts chapter 5, verses 29, it says, we must obey God rather than men. And I love this thought process because they came up to the disciples and they said, man, you have to do this. You have to preach this way. And they said, no, we're not going to do it that way because we'd rather obey God than man. I think this verse has huge implications. I want to talk about dishes in this. Somebody the other day, I, I just had to kind of think to myself going, why, why do I do the dishes at my house? Is it because I want my wife to be happy with me? And she's like, yeah, you do the dishes. It's so great. I really like that. Am I doing the dishes because I want my kids, I want my kids to see that, wow, I'm such a great dad that I do these things? Or is it because I just simply have been called to love and this is the way that I feel like God is asking me to love my wife? and to love my kids. What if for the rest of my life, I do dishes every single night and my wife never once comes up to me and says, hey, thanks for doing the dishes. Does that mean I should stop doing the dishes? Because if that's the case, then I stop maybe thinking that I love, I, I stop being concerned about loving my wife. Now for you, it might be something different doesn't mean, I'm not saying that you need to go home, Tom, and do the dishes, right? That's not what I'm saying. That's, that's not it at all. But, hey, what are you doing in your marriage that you're looking for accolades for and you don't need accolades for? How about this? What in your friendships are, and this one's huge for me. And so when I say this, I'll, some, some of the people that know me will laugh. Are you keeping tally in your relationship with other people? I'm telling you, I, I, I have in my mind, like, oh, I owe this person because this is what they did for me. And oh, I owe this person, right? Like, I could probably tell you how much I owe somebody in, in terms of monetary value, which they've already said, don't ever give me. And I don't ever plan on giving them money, right? But it's there. Right? And so we attach our relationship with them instead of just going, why can't we just be friends? And I know what you're asking is, is what does this have to do with obeying God rather than man? But I think it's how we look at our relationships with one another, how God is asking us to love one another. How about this? There are those of you who might be looking at Acts this year and gone, hey, I want to... Uh, I want to be a witness everywhere, and so I'm posting as much as I possibly can on social media. Do you post on social media because you want a reaction, 
or because you want to help people understand Jesus Christ more? Or do you just want to get into a conversation and a fight with them? Do you post on social media just because you're just like, no, I just want people to know how I feel, what I believe. I've come across so many things lately that I know that people just post on social media because they want a response from somebody. I'm telling you, that is not the best way to, to get the gospel out there, especially in an argument with somebody. How about your kids? Do you treat your kids in ways in which you're trying to maybe not really teach them the right ways to go, but you have created such a relationship with them that they are dependent upon you and you're dependent upon their liking of you? I mean, I could go on and on in the list about how we really do fear man more than obeying Scripture. And the last one I think is probably the most fun for me because, um, because it involves being a whole entire community as a church together. And when we look at it in the correct way of going, man, God, I just, I just want to serve. I don't want to, I, I don't want to be stressed out about things. I don't want to be bogged down by things. I want to completely keep my eyes affixed on you. And it's found in Hebrews chapter 12, verses one through three. And I know it says just one, but it's one through three, and it says this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. If Jesus is our ultimate servant, our ultimate servant leader, then when I look at these things, man, I, I want to throw off everything that hinders. I want to run with perseverance, not run for other people, not getting other people's approvance uh, of me, but I want to run the race marked out for us. I want to see Jesus Christ as my master and I want to run towards the things that I know that the scripture is saying, would you please do this? In the areas in where I know that my heart is drawn towards the accolades of man, would it be that I'm drawn towards Christ's acceptance of me? Would I fix my eyes on him, the pioneer and perfecter of faith? It's almost as if... <laughs> It's almost as if Paul, in every single uh, story that we see of him, he's got this tunnel vision. And this is what God has set out for me. This is what I'm going to do. And whatever circumstance I find myself in, I'm just going to do what God has called me to do. And I wish that I could tell each and every one of you what that is, but I can't. Because each and every one of you is, is gifted and, and has talents that God has given you. And as you spend time with God way more, He's going to say, hey, would you do this? Can you be doing this? And maybe you'll pick up something and you'll go, nope, that's not for me. I'm going to go do something. That's A-okay. But consider him who endured opposition from sinners. Consider Jesus over and over again. 
man, if you're getting bogged down by being a servant leader and, and things are just like oppressing you and you're really struggling, one of two things might need to happen. One, you might need to change your heart. Or two, be focused on Jesus a little bit more and going, I, I can endure this because I know what you've called me to do. I can do one more, one more night of dishes. Because if you knew anything about me, you would know that my very first fight with my wife in our marriage, big fight, I'm talking about huge fight, was me not wanting to do dishes in Thanksgiving. It was, I'm not joking, it was a big fight. Not for her, because she just kept on doing things. It was in my own head. And now I love doing dishes. Not because of her, but because I know and I feel that God has said, hey, keep going, keep striving. And I know it's not about dishes, y'all. I, I know, but it is about, man, looking at Paul and going, and I, I might get bitten by a snake on this one, but I'm gonna brush it off because I know what God has called me to do. So we find out what's the most important when we spend time with him and when we're looking towards being a servant. And so I'm gonna ask the worship band to come forward and, and we're gonna sing our last song, Glory in the Highest. And this is where I want you to start with this morning as we just end our time together is this, is have you given God the most glory? Is there something this week that has completely derailed you from seeing God in a tunnel vision sort of way? And can I just tell you, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end with this, is I'm really excited next week to... Uh, to do our sermon together because we're going to talk about the naughty and nice list of Matthew's genealogy next week. And so we're going to look at 24 people um, who we're going to see if they, if they got on the naughty or nice list of, of Santa's list of being able to have gifts. And so we're really excited about that. But the reason why I, I think about this is that every single one of those people in that genealogy, they knew what God was calling them to do. God had a purpose for them and God had a plan for them and, and going the right way. And, and that's what I want from us. And in this season is the season where we actually really get to focus more than I think we ever do on God being our master of our lives. Hey, dear Heavenly Father, God, we just thank you so much for today. God, we desire to be your servants. And Lord, would we spend the time and the effort into realizing that you've called each and every one of us into a relationship with you in which you are our master, that God, your gospel is way more important than any of our visibility and our accolades and our accomplishments, that God, that we would desire that we would be your witnesses through, throughout everywhere we go. And God, would we draw, would you, no, would you draw through us people that um, need to know you, God, would we be your witnesses everywhere we go. I love you, Lord. In your whole name we pray. Amen. Love you all. Have a great day. Thanks for joining us again for another sermon of the GEC podcast. Connect with us at GlasgowEC.com or every Sunday morning at 10 here in Glasgow, Montana. If you enjoyed this podcast, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give a review on iTunes because this helps us share the word with more people. See you next week.